The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, I'm going to read for us, then we will pray, and we'll start looking at this together. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he, that's Jesus, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and get you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead give, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, Father, as we turn to you and ask for the good gift of not merely understanding, but experiencing you near us, I pray that you would help us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, um, we talked about Mary and Martha. Uh, We talked about Mary and Martha in the context of kind of saying, you know what, chapter 10 is about all of this kind of discipleship on mission type stuff. And Mary and Martha is a bit oddly placed, but it helps us be aware that we're transitioning into something else, into chapter 11. And we kind of looked at Mary and Martha as kind of like these, uh, I called them this uh, tactile pavers, you know, when you come to the end of a sidewalk at the street, tactile pavers are there for the visually impaired so they know that they aren't going to walk into traffic, so to speak. So this is a, these are a transition period into chapter 11. And so now here we are, at the beginning of chapter 11. And as I was kind of thinking through what we're working through this morning, it occurred to me like, oh, chapter 11 after this is not an overly fun chapter. Um, we go from chapter 10, where Jesus has been talking about all this, like he sends out his 72, demons are cast out, people have their names written in God's ledger in heaven, you know, God, God loves his people and they're doing a lot of stuff. And here we come to the end of chapter 10 with Mary and Martha, a picture of good or healthy and unhealthy spirituality, spiritual health. And then we come to chapter 10. And after Jesus tells us, here's how to pray, Jesus gets into then saying, okay, um, uh, demons are really bad. And then he says, uh, the Pharisees uh, don't be like them because they don't have inner 
holiness. They're hypocrites. And then he ends as well in chapter 11 uh, by talking about, um, you know, woes to the Pharisees, you know, who are deceptive and evil. Um, I find it fascinating, uh, you know, that the rest of the chapter is a lot of negative stuff. And here still in the middle of it is this pray like this. It seems a little kind of stark, high, high contrast starkness of here's a light moment and then we've got kind of some difficult stuff at the back end of chapter 11. When I look at the end of chapter 11, um, and I'm setting this up so that we can kind of understand what Luke is doing, right? That's why we're talking about this. When I look at cha- the end of chapter 11, you have um, the lawyers who are Pharisees, pastors at the time, kind of, who are creating extra rules of what it, fo- what it means to follow Jesus, and they're adding extra burdens, and they're hindering people from coming to know God because of that. You have uh, this kind of conversation of you're hypocrites because you're working about, you're, you're doing all this tithing, but you're not doing any inner work to become more like God, holiness type stuff. Um, and then clearly that he's talking about demons and demon possession and that sort of the demonic powers and their work. It seems to me, you know, in the, uh, later the apostles talk about the world of flesh and the devil. And that seems to kind of be what the rest of the chapter is about. The world being these religious um, powers who are creating extra burdens and hindrances to the kingdom. The flesh, this internal growing to be more like God, and then clearly demonic powers being the devil. To me, it seems like in the midst of that, you have Jesus in chapter 10 saying, follow what God's doing on mission and join him where you're at. And then your struggles in this life will be, end of chapter Luke chapter 11, the world of flesh and the devil. And so that helps us understand right in the middle of all of that sort of chaos is placed the Lord's Prayer, which I think helps us recognize, because I don't know about you, but when I think about kind of religious instruction on prayer, it can feel very kind of esoteric and removed from regular life. Like, okay, I, you know, it's kind of like for me as a, as a parent of four, whenever I, I see kind of Instagram influencers or YouTube and they have like one kid and they talk about this or that, and I'm like, bro, you don't even understand, like, I've sacrificed, I've got four kids, the, the way I understand parenting is very different from one. It's not to say that it's unimportant, but just to say my experience of it is different. Sometimes it can feel like with prayer, we talk about prayer like you should be giving, you know, hours and hours today in prayer. And it's like, man, like, I don't, do you live in the real world? Like my, I mean, this is, you you guys could say this to me. When you look at the Bible, my job is to study the word, help people understand their Bibles. My job description includes prayer. Like, so you, you, you can look at me and say, like, Jacob, I get it, but you're paid to pray. I am not. So in the midst of all of this, I think that it's helpful that Jesus, that Jesus talks about it and Luke places it in the midst of something that feels very familiar to us. You'll notice that what Luke goes on to talk about is, I think, just kind of the, the ways in which we feel out of control are kind of not in control of our lives, right? The powers of darkness, whatever that is, right? This internal sense of, I don't figure, I can't quite understand myself and I don't really know how to become more like God. Or the world, you could 
if you really don't like your boss, just say that they're a part of that, you know, whatever it is, right? These things that feel out of our control, Jesus comes to us in the midst of that and says, God is already present with you. And the purpose of his prayer then is to help us kind of open our eyes or become more aware of God's presence that's already with us in the midst of our lives with him. So here's what I want to say the main point of this passage is, and then we're just going to break this down with three simple titles and talk about prayer. The main point of this section is, in prayer we learn to receive God's happy presence with us. That's what I would say. I'll, I'll kind of pull out of the text where I'm finding that. As we work through this, you're obviously free to ask questions text them in if you just don't want to have to remember them, and we will engage in that together. So let's pick up here in verse 4. We're going to see this main idea. In prayer, we learn to receive God's happy presence with us. And we're going to start out with Jesus' simple instructions. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So I want to pause there um, and just make a comment. Uh, we are getting into the fall season. I'm not sure if you have kids in this stage of life or if you have friends whose kids are in this stage of life, but if you're in New Hampshire, for whatever reason, they are draconian about uh, driver's ed. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I, this is where I begin to feel my age. Like when I was growing up, like I, I had a driver's ed class at school that, you know, anybody could pass if they had, you know, one eye in their face sort of thing. Um, here, it's a very rigid process, right? You can't miss anything. It, you can't show, you can't not go to class. You can't show up late. It's like, what, six weeks long. You have so many hours. You got to log it all, blah, blah, blah. But the thing about driver's ed is that you learn how to drive with somebody else who knows how to drive in the same car. As we talk about prayer, it is important that here Jesus is a functionally kind of, not interrupted in prayer, but it's kind of like, and amen, and the disciples are on it. Like Jesus basically finishes his prayer and the disciples are like, tell us what, to, what did you just do? Tell us what to do it. Do that. You know, it, they are learning in the car of prayer with Jesus, which helps us to fight against the sense of like, this is not Jesus just saying like, you lowly peons who do not have this relationship with God like I do, I have ascended the mountain. I do not pray because I am with God all the time. You know, it's like, no, he, he prays. And he teaches us as somebody in the midst of this chaotic life, as somebody who knows what it's like to pray, he teaches us who struggle to pray. So what does he say? He says to them, when you pray, say, fill in the blank. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not in temptation. I want to just kind of give a few comments on these phrases. I feel like they're in a certain sense, they're very at face value obvious, but I just want to make a few comments about them and then we'll kind of comment about what Jesus is doing. So, First of all, he says, Father, which is not absolutely unheard of, but is certainly unique. 
he is tying our relationship with God as somebody who has, as a child who has access to their parent, right? This is not, dear governor of the world, and you hope that the governor hears it. Like, I, if I wrote a letter to Chris Sununu, I highly doubt that he would read it, even though it was from me, you know? <laughs> Father, you know, this is, speaks to the relational intimacy. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It is fascinating. The hallowed idea is not just merely, God, you're holy. It's hallowed. Let your name be embodied in a way, the way we live our lives. Let it reflect that you are holy, that you're different, that you, God, are different than all the other kind of gods or ways of expressing life. You're different than everybody else. Let us live in a way that sets your name apart. Like when people talk about taking the Lord's name in vain, like it's, it's really not related to saying those, the phrase, I'm not going to say it because I, I don't want to get censored. That has nothing really to do with it. What it has to do with is, do you live in a way that says God's different? God's holy. He's good. He's full of life and flourishing. Your kingdom come. And you notice it's, God, you've got to do it. You've got, your kingdom is different than where we live, but we want it here. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread is certainly tying to this sense of I, my daily needs, my daily, my daily sustenance, that which supports me on a daily basis. I need it from you. And forgive our sins. I find it fascinating to me Bread and sins, you might call this stress and drama. That's where we live. I mean, why do we work and why do we get headaches, right? We work because we need provision. We get headaches because there's drama around us or in us. That kind of encapsulates like all the stress with work, with your marriage, with your family, all the things that just don't seem to kind of line up and go well. You can call those sins, or it's interesting that it, it fluctuates between in this passage, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He swings to both. Basically, ways in which people have wronged you, maybe there's just because of their weakness or their, their failures or they're just not perfect. Weaknesses to sins, all of that kind of tends to be where the drama of life is. And then give us our daily bread. That's why we all have jobs in one way or the other. God, we need you to help us in each of these. And then lead us not into temptation. Um, it seems to me that the general disposition for Jesus is um, you are just trying to be a disciple for today. Um, we aren't trying to get ourselves in any sort of history books of great people. <laughs> and he's aware of our limitations. I mean, what are, what are our temptations and I'm not talking like like the red letter temptations or something like that. I'm talking about just like the general, like, I find myself as I'm getting older, I do slide towards, man, if it's comfortable, I just want to do the comfortable thing and not have to. Like that sort of, that's a temptation. But where does that fall? Like, what exactly am I doing wrong there? It's like, I don't know. It's not bad. But it's a temptation away towards the things that I should be giving attention to. 
he's saying, God, help us with our limitations. Help us to know our limitations and to live in a way that depends on you to provide for us. So, one thing I want to point out here, and maybe you picked up on this as we read it, and then we'll kind of give some practical thoughts here. Did you notice as I read this, Father, how would be your name, your kingdom come, period? I don't know, if, you're, if you've been around a church long enough to know, typically the way we pray the Lord's Prayer is from the book of Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Sorry, I had the King James locked in. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's typically the way we pray that. And it's fascinating. Luke is not just kind of like willy-nilly. He is putting a period there and not including the rest. This is a bit like, the way I, I've thought about this is, if you are a Lord of the Rings person, right, there is the theatrical release of the Lord of the Rings, and then there's the extended release of the Lord of the Rings. Now, if you are a Lord of the Rings person, those theatrical things are tolerated and they're on your bookshelf at, menu, at, at the most. You really care and really only watch the extended editions, right? <laughs> we all really only remember the extended edition of the Lord's Prayer, which is, you know, fuller, more context. You think of all the extra scenes that they add in Lord of the Rings to kind of give more context, blah, blah, blah. Matthew 6 has more to say for us to pray, which is valuable. Luke has a theatrical release, you might say, to drive in a point. And the point is, I, this is just my take. I'm not sure if you would agree with me. My take is, he says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, period. Because he wants us to recognize God's kingdom, God's presence, God's nearness is right here. Whereas Matthew's prayer can kind of leave you with a sense of, as your, as your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Like, God, you're up there and we're down here. It can kind of leave you with that sense. That's not necessarily the point of it. Luke, I think, is trying to drive home for us. He is the one with the narrative about, this is at the beginning of Luke, um, God, God with us, right? Jesus is coming in the Christmas narrative, God with us. Here, he is again drawing, God is here now among us. That's what he's just done in chapter 10. God is here among us doing stuff. His kingdom is happening now through us. So when he says, your kingdom come, period, I think he's trying to help us see. God is not just kind of off there in a distance, making decisions about your life, telling what, you know, pulling the strings. He is right here. You think whatever drama, whatever needs you have this week, you don't need to flag down God's attention. Hey, can I get some of your time? Right now. Right here. And he's happy about it. We're going to get to that in a second. I think that's why Luke has that framing of the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me just kind of give a few thoughts here, and we'll move on in the prayer. I do think it's fascinating that when Jesus is asked, how do we pray? He doesn't just say, here's some categories of how to pray, right? Talk about your relationship with God. Talk about your daily need. Talk about how you need to forgive people. He gives them an actual form, a written prayer, right? In Protestant circles, we really value kind of spontaneous prayer, and spontaneous prayer is fantastic. But when Jesus thinks of baseline prayer, what does it mean to just be a Christian? He says, pray this. He gives you the word. We talked about this a few months ago. This is why, this is kind of behind why we've written the daily office. It is certainly more than just re praying the Lord's Prayer. So don't hear me, this is not the Bible. <laughs> 
has a lot of Bible in it. But when Jesus teaches you how to pray, he is giving you a form prayer. And that's why the daily office is to say, here's how to pray, help you to pray on a regular basis. If you don't know what to say, what do I, how do I fill this in? It gives you something to do or to say in a way that's prayerful and meditative with God. Um, I just finished a class uh, on C.S. Lewis. Um, are you guys familiar with who C.S. Lewis is? Yes or no? So Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote all of that. Um, wrote Mere Christianity, probably one of the mo most famous Christian books of the 20th century. Um, he is, uh, he actually died on the same day that JFK was assassinated, um, November 22nd. Um, probably one of the most important figures, in the, uh, Christian figures in the last hundred years. Um, whoever you think of as kind of like the most important person globally, C.S. Lewis is the most quoted, most recognized person of the 20th century. Anyhow, he had a lot of fun things to say about things. He was very kind of moderate in his kind of understanding. And I took a class on him all this time. Sorry, I'm getting off track. <laughs> I took a class on him and I was preaching on this uh, prayer stuff. So I wrote a paper on Lewis's prayer advice. And he basically, his advice on prayer in the Christian life is like, look, pray three times a day, morning, sometime in the middle of the day, and at night. Uh, do your main prayer where you're like trying to talk to God about your real life before you're sleeping, and use the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's pretty like astoundingly simple and straightforward. Like, I mean, the, the daily office is certainly more robust than that. And his advice I found very, very helpful. Like, look, if you just prayed, imagine how your life would be shaped around God's presence with you in this self-conscious way if you just pray the, the Lord's Prayer three times a day. I think that's what Jesus has in mind, even if it's once. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And give us our, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I can just imagine... By the time I get to noontime in the middle of the day, that has a little bit more sins, weaknesses, frustrations. It probably has more meat to it than what I pray at the beginning of the day. All right. I want to move over here to the rest of the passage, and then we can turn to questions if you'd like. Verses 5 to 10 is basically here Jesus says, here's how to pray, and then he gives us two main illustrations on how to pray. Or, sorry, illustrations motivating us to pray. So, pray boldly, verse 5 to 10 is what I want to talk about here. And he said to them, that's Jesus, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me your three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he uh, will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and get you anything. All right, so that's what he said. Who would say that? And I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, uh, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. All right, let me pause there, and then we'll get to what Jesus says next. All right, so you just have to kind of imagine the ancient world. This is a small town village, which is in view. They made their bread on a daily basis, right? So it was not like you go to Aldi and get stocked up for the week, right? This was... You made your bread for the day, and typically a meal's worth of bread would have been three loaves of bread. So here is his friend coming to him. And by the way, the houses would have been relatively close together, which is why you know, 
imagine kind of like in our context when houses are closer together, you can kind of like yell over to your neighbor, that type of thing. He's basically like probably five feet from the next house over like, hey, John, I just had Ryan come in. He's here. I need some food. Can you, do you have anything? Now, the, the kind of like, he is trying to raise our awareness of just kind of being like, oh, come on. Like, because he's like, look, he would have already eaten all his food for the day. He would have had, he, you're asking him to bake you three more loaves of bread. His kids are in bed. He would have had done all this work, all that. So it's not just kind of like, hey, can you lend me some sugar? Sorry, I have outcast in my head. Can I? Uh, sorry, that was a shiny object. Do you know the band Outcast? Sorry, never mind. Uh, this would be similar to if your neighbor uh, was pregnant and he comes to you two o'clock in the morning, knock, knock, knock. My wife's in labor. Our car's broken down. Can I borrow your car? Right? It's that level of kind of like, okay, sure, yeah, you can use my stuff. It's inconvenient, the timing. The other part of this is that because it was a village context, if his friend didn't help him because of his need, the whole town would have been shamed. They would have been inhospitable. Similar to like in my illustration of the car and somebody being in labor, if my neighbor came to my house and they're like, my car's broken, it won't start. Two o'clock in the morning, wife's in labor, we need to get to the hospital. And I said, no. Can you imagine what all of my neighbors would think about me? <laughs> that big, the biggest jerk on the planet. And they would all be going up to my neighbor the next day, like after they got back from the hospital, like, listen, don't talk to him next time. Talk to me when you've got a problem next time. Like that you can, so we don't live in the ancient world, but it's a similar idea, right? Like, bro, what are you doing? He has a need. Jesus is what he's saying here. He's going after our, are kind of motivations in prayer. In a certain sense, because of who we are and how we just operate and think about God at times, we can think, I just don't really want to bother him. I don't want to ask. I'm kind of tired of talking to him. It seems kind of delayed. It's not what I, I was hoping for. I've asked God for help. Not going to do it again. He's going after those motivations. In a certain sense, kind of reading our orientation about life into God's heart. Why bother? So Jesus says to fill out that illustration I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be um, knocks, it will be opened. See, Jesus, we, I, I don't really want to get into like, what do what do I do if I ask and I don't receive? Because Jesus is really not trying to get into like those sort of like theological conversations. He's going after our motivations. He's basically saying. The Bible doesn't need to give God an escape hatch for not do doing what you want. The Bible is telling us God's heart towards you in prayer is to give you himself primarily. We're going to get to that at the end. But you'll notice 
God's react or the reflexes from God in this passage. You notice that, right? The one it says here in verse nine, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. God is, is shown as being giving. Seek and you will find. God is one who helps you discover. Knock and it will be opened to you. God is the one who opens question, problem. For everyone who asks receives. God is one who gives. Again, everyone who seeks finds. God is one who helps you discover. And the one who knocks, the one will be open. The door will be open. It seems to me that if God is defined by one who gives, uncovers, opens, to me, that strikes me as somebody who's happy. Right? It just seems to me like somebody who is going to be repeatedly put on the spot, right? And this is not just you. This is every, I mean, if you think about everyone in this room, like what, 30, 40 people, all asking, knocking, seeking with this God in prayer, doing it over and over and over and over, constantly for millions at one time. It seems to me that God, that what Jesus is getting after is God's disposition, his reflex to us is, yeah, he's happy about it. He's happy that you're talking. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, is, I know this is an old movie at this point. Bruce Almighty, he gets made God, right? God gets him, he lets him be God. And I just, I, I have always in my head been so struck by the prof- profound moment where um, it's uh, Jim Carrey, right? And he's like, he gets prayers by email, which is funny to me, just at face value. And he gets all these prayers. And he's like, oh, all these people with these things. And he's just kind of like, Control all, yes. <laughs> He's just so annoyed by all the prayers, right? In this passage, I, I just that's helpful to kind of say like that's not what God's like. Which is I'm, the movie's doing something, right? Jesus, I think, is going after that similar idea of like God's orientation is not kind of like oh, again, again with the thing, whatever your thing is, right? your temptations, your weaknesses, your frustrations, your hopes, your dreams, all those things, God is yes in hearing you and being near you and being with you. How would this understanding of God change your boldness in prayer? It's not to say like you should start praying for a million dollars because God's, yeah, that's not what we're saying. What would it be like if you were to say, you know what, God, last week was terrible. Looks like this one's going to be terrible too. God's God's not reluctantly getting coffee with you to kind of like, okay, tell me about it again. He's happy to hear you. Now let's finish out. Verses 9 to 13. Praying expectantly or pray expectantly. Sorry, did I put... Yes, uh, praying expectantly. I put the wrong verses there, 5 or 10. It's actually, sorry, 11. The words are correct, 11 to 13. The, the address is wrong. Sorry. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good give, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So, obviously, there's a certain sense which this kind of reads normal, like you, it's reading, um, it's uh, arguing from the ridiculousness of the illustration, right? Who's going to give, who's a good father who's going to give his kids a scorpion for, at, for, at face value, let alone when his kids ask for an egg and, you know, bre- effectively breakfast, right? And he gives them a scorpion. But behind this illustration, and frankly the whole passage, is this whole ancient understanding of what a father was. In the Roman world, where, which would have been kind of in view for a lot of the hearers of the passage, in the Roman world, the oldest living father was kind of the absolute mo- like patriarch, monarch-ish of the family. The oldest living male father in the family called the shots for everybody. You know, so whoever the oldest male in your family is called the shots. Who could get married, who could get divorced, who could get remarried. What would happen when a child was born? Was the child going to be kept, sold into slavery, put out in the field because of some condition? Would the, would the child be go, go to school here? Would a child be sent off for military school? Would the child be enlisted? Who could do this or that? What sort of business deals were going to happen or not? I mean, think like mafia level kind of the Godfather, that's what the ancient world has in view with the word Father. So here we have, through Jesus' passage, that in the backdrop, and Jesus saying, your heavenly Father is not like that. He wants you. He's happy about you. He's eager to be near you and is eager to provide your needs, primarily being, are you aware that God's with you? Because, I mean, you can get your food, but if it's not, if you're not recognizing that God's the one who's providing for you, then when you are in need of food, you're going to be kind of wondering what to do. So, what father among you, these sort of illustrations are going after, do you know that God's happy to provide for you? Like when you're, when you're coming to him in prayer, like do you know that God's, God's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear this, right? We don't, I think especially for those kind of in the reform camp, we tend to kind of be like, Oh God, we want to we want to know like we we're not trying to ask you to like you know bless us because we're so good or to earn your favor or we know that you're sovereign so we want to give you kind of this escape hatch for if you don't do what we're asking we don't want to be in a theological bind and really it's just like Jesus is just coming at us and saying like bro chillax like God's happy about you He's happy to hear from you and you'll notice. Jesus says here, his provision is primarily identified with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? Right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? He is in a certain sense saying, God's yes to all of your requests is primarily realized in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the person of joy, of life, of renewal, him being bound to you because of Jesus and saying, yes, I want you in my family. Ask whatever you want. Not sure that you're going to get all of the specific, you know, whatever your Christmas list of requests is. But you do have God's yes and his presence and nearness to you. So if you take the first illustration, you're basically seeing 
in a moment of crisis, God's okay for you to freak out with him and just say, blah, I, I've got this thing. Help me. Yep, he, I'm listening to what God's saying. And you have a second illustration. Is God going to be good this time around? Because I'm not sure about last time. And Jesus saying, uh, just be careful not to read your heart into God's heart. God's heart towards you is always an open hand with the Holy Spirit in his presence with you. He's happy to be in your life. Which I think then when you start looking at the rest of chapter 11, demonic powers, things kind of above my pay grade, things out of control, I don't really understand that part of the world so well. My inner holiness, growing to be more like him, it seems really hard. And the world, things that are, again, outside of my ability to really change and adjust. Jesus centers us as we go into talking about those things. He equips us not merely with prayer, but prayer that has an orientation to, oh, God likes me. He's happy to be in my life. So in prayer, we learn to receive God's happy presence with us. Let's pray. Father, as we have paid attention to Jesus' words, would you help us to see your happy disposition towards us, your happy leaning in, your eagerness to provide, your closeness? Would you help us not merely to see it, but to respond in our lives with prayer as we live with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.